We are reading from Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10. You can follow in your Bible or look on the screen. It's called Made Alive in Christ in this Bible. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, yeah, which who, in his, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the, com- the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in, Jesus, um, in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Rochelle. Thank you. Thank you. Splendid. Well, it's good to be here once again, and uh, this evening, obviously, we're going to venture into Ephesians 2. Uh, we're continuing our series in Ephesians, and I mean, I, I get excited when I bring God's message to you most times. Occasionally, I get a very difficult passage, which I struggle with, but Ephesians is one of these books where it just seems to get better and better, and we come into Ephesians 2, and I mean, this is the real deal. This is an incredible passage of Scripture, and Paul lays out for us so beautifully what salvation is all about, what it means to come into a relationship with Christ, and how to live for him and in fact most scholars agree that this is the clearest and most effective summary in the bible of paul's doctrine of salvation of grace through faith that's an incredible passage of scripture it sets out clearly before us what the gospel is and we see that it is god's action as a result of his divine grace love and mercy which is the only hope for us as sinners And Paul clearly indicates that there's a huge contrast or there should be a huge contrast between who we are by nature and who we are by grace and the potential we can have. And Paul in these verses that we're looking at tonight is praying or hoping that those reading this letter will know how powerful God is. And he wants them to understand what it is that God has done in Christ. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, we again ask for your wisdom, we ask for your discernment, we ask for your voice in the midst of everything that is said this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the songs that we've sung which directed us towards you. And Lord, we want more of that. We want to hear your voice now. We want to respond to you, Lord. Will you speak to us and reveal the truth of your word to us this evening, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Now, Paul begins this chapter with a description of who the Ephesians were before they came to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Now, think about who Paul was, too, prior coming to the falling off his horse on that road. Paul was at the peak or the pinnacle of what he was actually doing. He was zealous for God. He had status, he had position, he had wealth, and he had respect. And when Paul is writing this letter and he talks about what these people were before Christ, I'm sure he's thinking the same thing for himself. He counts it all as all but loss. And he realizes that he was dead in sin. And this is one of those occasions where we see the words, we know what they say. When we read them, we just skip straight over them. We need to think about what this means. Well, what does it actually mean to be dead in sin? Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. It goes on, obviously. But we were dead. And you know what? There's some people sitting amongst us tonight who are still dead. And I know people don't like you saying that. But that's the reality of where we are. There are people present with us who will not be in eternity with Christ. The stats prove it. Think about dead people. Can they do anything to help themselves? In fact, anything dead, can it do anything to help themselves? My wife and I have good track history of killing plants. When there's dead, there's not a lot you can do. You end up with a nice pot. No plant. But it's pretty obvious, isn't it? But when we think about being dead in Christ, we don't, we don't consider what has actually been said here. We're dead. Dead people can't do anything for themselves. And in the midst of that, we can't, couldn't do anything for, them, for ourselves. I couldn't do anything for, ourself, for myself. And Paul is talking about this spiritual condition. And we need to realize there's no sitting on the fence. We're either alive in Christ or we're dead in our sins and our transgressions. And when we think about the English language too, there's not too many words that are absolute in their expression. Dead is one of them. Everyone knows what you're talking about. When, if someone is dead, we no longer expect to have any sort or form of relationship with them. We don't hold out any hope of ever seeing them again on this earth in any way, shape or form. And that's the state we're in. We were dead. And then he wants us to realise just how bad that is. You know, it's not bad that he says that we were dead in our transgressions and sin, but he goes on and he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in once you once walked, in which you once walked. Gee, it's a night for it, isn't it? Far out. Maybe I should start again. But we were enslaved in the midst of this. And in Paul's words, he says that we once walked in trespasses and sins. And in case you're one of these people who really loves walks, this isn't a good walk. There's nothing to love about it. There's no pleasure. There's no freedom. And for those of us who've moved into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we can testify that we were trapped in that former life. Sometimes when you're in that life, it doesn't seem like that. In fact, it seems like exactly the opposite. We're having fun. We're enjoying ourselves. Everything is going well. But the reality is there's no freedom. And it's like this bondage over which we've got no control to get out of. And the reason for us being dead, in, being dead is sin. And the reason for us walking in trespasses and sin is the world, the flesh and the devil. So the bit that he's talking about is this bit. 
following the course of this world. And the original Greek would translate this a bit closer to meaning according to the age of this world. And it's incredible how God's word is very, very powerful. When you think about according to the age of this world, that's written for everyone right across all generations. It was written for the people at that time and it's written for today. So there's two thoughts coming together here. The age is the present age in which you are actually living in. And it's much the same as the age that Paul was living in as well and the people that he wrote to. And there's this continual current of evil and darkness. And when it says this world, it's referring to the world as we know it. You think about our world. At a society that is increasingly organizing itself, reshaping itself to a reference point that does not include God. That's where we're headed. Think about right here, right now. More and more, we have a society that is moving away from the absolute values of God. Marriage in Scripture, in Genesis, is between a man and a woman. Jesus, in Matthew 19, said marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the biblical definition of marriage. And yet we've just had this plebiscite come through. And marriage has been legalized. They can do that. That's okay. I'm not going to judge them. They're not Christians. There's nothing we can do about that. When they ask our opinion, we can certainly give it. But there's people who want to bring this into the church. They say it is a teaching of God. It is against God's word. It cannot be. And we must stand firmly upon the principles and the word that is contained within the scriptures. These people want to bend scripture so that we accept this. They're not obeying Christ. They're not being obedient to the Lord. They're not being obedient to his word. They're complying to the pressures that are being put upon us upon this world. These people and society itself are moving further and further away from God. And they're holding to a value system which has got nothing to do with God. It's against God and it's against his teachings. And we are being faced increasingly with more and more materialism, more and more self-serving attitudes... And my life is about what I want. My life is about what works for me. And what we've done, we've dethroned God. And we've put other things in his place. We replace him with what I think is right. And this even happens in our church. There's no escaping the evil influence that is present and causes men and women to give in to their temptations. Look at what it says in Ephesians 2.2. Which you were once walked, sorry, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. Where's air? It's absolutely everywhere. And this guy is the prince of the power of the air. He's absolutely everywhere. Think again about what is being said. When we're called to put on the full armour of God, when do we do that? When we give our life to Christ. You know, we need to be battle ready. You know, when we go through what the armour is, it's, it's, it's an armour that is designed to protect us. If this dude's around all the time, when do you need your armour on? All the time. When do you need to check your armour? All the time. How often do you sharpen your sword? What's the sword? Word of God. If you're not reading your scripture, guess what? Your sword's rusty. In fact, some of us, we might find we've just got a handle in the scabbard. There's no sword there. 
We need to be taking these things seriously. God doesn't say it in his word for no reason. You know the man in black? Put the suit on. It's the last suit you'll ever wear. That's us. When we give our life to Christ, we put the suit on and we don't take it off until we stand in glory in eternity with him. In this, it's this prince, Satan himself, who's at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience. It's his desire that they won't come to know Christ. He holds them entrapped, making them and once us believe the lies and the life that it's all about me. There's no God. And even if there was, he's a spoil sport. He just wants me to follow a whole heap of rules that take all the fun out of life. It's interesting how people think we as Christians live this miserable life where we have no fun. Don't ever come to our household if you think that's the case. You'll be bitterly disappointed. Nothing can be further from the truth. I have a ton of fun. I'm living life to the full. That's what Christ said he's going to do for us. But the guy who's opposing that, who's telling people opposite, he's the father of lies. What else can we expect? But unfortunately, people believe that. And we were among those who lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, living like the rest of mankind. We lived in the passions of our flesh. We were enslaved, but we didn't know it, hey? Would you agree with that? I mean, let's face it. Sin's cool. Sin is good. It's actually quite enjoyable. That's the way I found it anyway. And there were things that we did willingly that now you're a Christian. You know it was against God. But there were things that you did and you enjoyed. Those sins that we committed weren't against our will. We were doing exactly what we wanted to do. We participated in them willingly. We enjoyed that sin. They made us feel good. They made us feel desired. They made us feel valued. And we sold ourselves out. And it's so sad that we see this repeated again and again, particularly with young people, girls who sell themselves short, because they don't think they're pretty enough and they've got to be accepted. Young men who think they've got points to prove. And we need to speak hope into their lives. There's way too many young people suiciding today. without hope and we have the message of hope and when we were living without Christ our very actions reflected and showed clearly that we weren't following God we weren't obeying him our actions showed that we were in rebellion to him and disobedience is a byproduct of not loving God and this is where the change comes about for us. Obedience to God is not about following a whole heap of rules. 
Obedience to God is this loving response that we have because we see, we understand, we appreciate the love of God for all he has. And, you know, it's what we do because of all he has done for us. But there's no unbeliever who can know and value that. They just don't get it. They don't understand. But we have been saved by grace. And that is an incredible thing. And I really want you to understand this tonight. We were all sons or daughters of disobedience. We gave into and followed the passions of our hearts and our minds. They were our passions. We fed them. We did it. Don't blame anyone else. I take responsibility for what I've done. And until we own them, we can't understand what it means to be saved by grace. Because God was rich in mercy and he had this great love for us and he loved us. So that even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin, when we could do nothing for ourselves, Christ died for us. By grace we have been saved. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God. This is the most beautiful thing in this passage. It is just so cool. When we were dead without hope, with no way and nothing that I could possibly do for myself, God moves. And in this passage, the but God could not be any more powerful. It could not symbolize any better our helplessness, you know, where we were, how lost we were, and how incredible God's love and mercy is to us. And I want you to open your eyes, I want you to open your ears, and I want you to appreciate the state that we were in. I mean, seriously, I was dead. There was nothing I could do for myself. How can anyone who is in such a dire, terrible situation be saved? And seriously, who'd want to save me anyway? It's really that simple. And no one but God would want to do that. It's the answer to the unanswerable problem. There's nothing we can do ourselves. Our very salvation is a work of God. We were dead in our transgressions and sin. And the fact that I am alive now in Christ has nothing to do with me. It was all a work of Christ. He saved me. And God, in his mercy, poured his great out upon, grace out upon me. And there are people in this world, and I'm sure if we had a raise of hands, people would say that they've heard this. There's people in this world who say they can't believe in a God who keeps himself aloof, holds himself above our lives and our situation. They see him as an angry, tyrannical ruler who delights in bringing affliction and pain and suffering upon us. That's not the God I worship. I don't even know who that God is. The God I worship is neither aloof or angry. He's not waiting with bolts of lightning to zap us, although I once thought that. He plays the primary role in our salvation. It's his love which causes him to move sending his son to die in our place, to suffer the most horrendous death, so we can be brought back into relationship with him. It is God's love which ultimately leads and deals with his own wrath and allows him to show mercy on us. And the incredible thing is, the objective of grace is not just to make us accept God, but to make it possible for him, the holy, righteous, good, perfect God, to have mercy on a sinner like me and to be able to accept me. That is the story of grace. That is incredible.
he saved me. Where there was once only death and helplessness, he's made a new hope and he's brought life. I was not saved just so I could be delivered from the consequences of sin. I was saved so that I may begin to live in and enjoy the new life I have in Christ. And I am a new creation. Are you? Can you say that? Can you believe that? A new creation in Christ. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. It is God's disposition and power that makes dead people live. He wanted us. We could not be his and we can't be present with him unless all of our sins, all the barriers between me and him are dealt with. And Jesus did that on the cross. It's his work on the cross that made us alive together with Christ. It is his work and power that raised us up with him. It's talking about Christ. Have you noticed the widths here? We were made alive together with Christ. His work and power that raised us up with him. It is his work and power that seats us in heavenly places with him. We have this equal reckoning with Christ. The same power that raised Christ from the dead has raised me from the dead. We've got some people who's choosing to obey Christ and going through the waters of baptism on the 29th. I am so excited. I think I've got five or six now that are going to be baptized. I've got to tell you, I am pumped. That is just so, so incredible. And that's on the 29th of July. If you haven't been baptized, don't let me find out because I will be on your heels for the rest of your life until you do. You believe, you get baptized. There is no special call. That's scripture. Don't argue. Do it. Read the word. Find out it's the truth. But the thing is, in baptism, we have these people, and uh, I, I actually prefer to do the back thing. You know, a lot of the pastors prefer to go front. Few, fewer people drown that way, but I figure if I'm baptizing them, it doesn't matter if they drown. But, you know, symbolically, we put them under the water. Why do they go under the water? They're identifying with the death of Christ. They're saying, I am putting to death my old self. I'm going to hold them under for the length of their sins. And then, praise God, we lift them out of the water. They rise to what? New life in Christ. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're symbolizing through baptism. And there's this incredible triumph that Jesus has over death. And when we're raised out of those waters, we have the same triumph over death. Death no longer holds that fear for us. It is the final frontier, so there's a little bit of fear because we just don't know what that is. But we pass through that and we stand in the presence and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ as a result of giving our life to him because we are no longer dead. We are alive in him. The life that we are now living, though, is not our own. Our lives are now intrinsically tied to Christ. We've been made alive with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We've been seated in the heavenly places with him. And the only way to be saved from a biblical perspective is to be joined to that saviour. And the gift of salvation cannot be separated from the gift giver, Jesus Christ, our Lord and saviour. That's it. Salvation exists because of God's creation. It's just so cool how it all ties together. God, God created life where there was only death. He created light where there was only darkness. 
And he does the same for us. There's hope now where there was only hopelessness. There's love now where there was only fear. And when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we're seated in the heavenly places with him. What's that mean? I mean, it'd be a bit like Pastor Darrell was alluding to this morning. You know, we come to faith, we're taken to heaven. That'd be so cool. But it doesn't happen that way. But we're seated in the heavenly places with him. It means we're now part of God's domain. We're part of his kingdom. We're no longer a part of Satan's kingdom. We're no longer ruled by him and his authority and the things that he used to place upon us. We can put that aside. Sin will no longer have any dominion over us. Amen? Okay, so sin can no longer rule your life. If you are captured and caught in sin, we need to deal with it. Let us come together and pray about it. Because scripture tells us that sin has no dominion over us anymore. It doesn't have that hold it once had. Because we're no longer under the power of darkness. We're under the power of light. We're no longer dead. We're now alive. We're no longer part of Satan's kingdom. We're part of the king's kingdom. And I'll tell you what, that's the one that wins every single state of origin game. Without fail. We're part of God's domain. We've moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. And I really hope you understand that. It's such a powerful thing to hold in our lives. And out of God's love comes this mercy and grace. Mercy is God not giving us what we truly deserve. And grace... God given us what we don't deserve. As new creations in Christ, as Christians, we're God's workmanship. And that's covered in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. And verse 8 here says that we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not our doing. There is nothing we could do in order to save ourselves. It's God's gift. He did it. There's nothing for us to boast about in our salvation. It's all to give glory to God. He moved. He responded. He made a way. And I am his workmanship. I am created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know what? When God created me in Christ Jesus he didn't patch up the bad bits he didn't repair something that was broken he didn't fix the bits that sin messed up I'm a new creation in Christ God took this raw material that was Charlie I mean it was really raw and rough I can tell you and he just broke it down to nothing and he rebuilt it into something totally new think about verses 1 to 3 again in this passage we've looked at look at all that raw, twisted, warped imperfect mess that is our lives and he made something new and the something new that he made is absolutely incredible He transforms us from what we once were to something totally new. And he made us, designing us for the work he's prepared for us to do. Everyone sitting here has a task that is preordained from God. It could be something very simple. It could be something very little. It could be something that is going to blow our minds in its size. But never, ever think that the small things don't count. 
I've forgotten his name again, Thrindu or Matt or someone might remember, the dude that hands out the flyers in Sydney. Nope, they've all lost it. Look it up. This guy, all he did, he, he committed when he gave his life to Christ to hand out 10 flyers every day in Sydney. Jenna, that's right. Yep, Frank Jenna. And, and it's just an incredible story. He faithfully gave those flyers out each and every day. He'd just step out of doorways and just thrust them into people's hands and say, excuse me, sir, if you were to die today, where would you go? And this man was actually lecturing all over the world and every place he went, he got these stories back about how these people came to faith because this little man stepped out in front of them and said, excuse me, sir, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And they estimate hundreds of thousands of people have come to faith because of this man. He didn't lead hundreds of thousands to Christ, but those he led to Christ became chaplains in military forces all over the world, and they led people to Christ. And they reckon it's going to be something like 100,000 people come to faith. This guy who was lecturing all around the world had to find him and find out about this guy. So he happened to be in Sydney, and he said to these guys, do you know Frank Jenner? You know, I've heard all these stories about him. He says, yeah, actually we do. They went around there. Here's a guy in his last years about to go and be with the Lord, the Lord that he dearly loved. And he had no idea that anyone had come to faith because of what he did. None. Our reward's not here. Our reward's in glory. And the little things we do, we don't know what God's going to do with that. But we have to be willing to say, Lord, that's what you've called me to. I mean, if you guys came to us, came to me and Pastor Darrell and Pastor Brendan's here, I think too, yeah, and Pastor Alvin's here, and you said to us, I think the Lord's called me to hand out flyers in Brisbane City. I'd possibly be like, okay, let's talk about that. And then if you were convinced that Christ had called you, you'd go with my blessing and prayer. But I mean, it's not the type of thing that you think God's going to do great work with, is it? But if that's what God has called you to do, do it and go with our blessing. We've got to encourage and strengthen each other to be doing that which God has called us to do. You have to be attentive to his promptings. Oh, I've got to tell you a good news story. Have we got time? This is incredible. Um, and, and it's just so beautiful because I was mentoring one of the young fellows from the church and I was doing this on Saturday morning in Carindale Shopping Centre and I just happened to say, you know, the standard thing that I do with guys I'm mentoring, have you been doing your quiet times, have you been praying, have you... And I said, what about when you're walking around, do you pray for people? I said, look, I'm a people person. I actually, I actually just like praying for people when I'm out about. And I said, and I have a look around. So we're sitting there having coffee, and I just turn around, and I'm looking at the people being served coffee at the coffee shop where we are. And um, there's these, these people there. And I said, these people closest to us, they don't seem to have any problems. They seem to be quite happy right now. So the ones being served coffee right there, they're fine. I said, but look at that guy on the other side. I said, man, there's something going on in his life. I said, look at his demeanor. I said, he, he's so down at the moment. And uh, I'm also saying it was Matt that uh, I was with and, I s and Matt goes do you know him I said no nah. he goes I do oh. <laughs> he goes I'm gonna go get him <laughs> I was like okay Matt goes over this guy comes over he sits down with us he's actually involved in youth leadership in another church and he says I just reached my end last night he said and I, I just got nothing to give and I was making decisions as to what I was going to do or where I was going to go. And God put us there right at that time in order to speak to this man. We, we, what, an hour, hour and a half with him? Who knows? It was just an incredible time of encouraging each other and building up in the faith. He enjoyed it so much, he actually came to Table Talks last night, shared his story there as well. Absolutely brilliant. We've got to be willing to step out, follow his promptings, fulfil the call that he has upon his life. I mean, it would have been easy for us to ignore that. 
it's just such a beautiful moment where God stepped in and did something. This isn't mine, but it says it as well as I would have. God's works are indispensable to salvation, not as a grounds or a means, but as its consequence and as evidence. Good works is not going to get you into heaven. That's what he's saying. But when you give your life to Christ, you will want to do good works for him. You will love him so much you want to be obedient to him. And he has work stored up for us. We have no idea what that is. We have to live our lives in such a way that we move into that and we understand and grow to know what he would have us to do. Our lives should be lives that are lived to glorify God. The work we do is not for ourselves, it's for him. And it's to bring glory to his name. When we consider being dead in sin in those verses 1 to 3, we just take a moment now and think about that. Does that describe your past? Or does it actually describe some of your present? Some of what's going in your life right now? If it is totally in your past, that is fantastic. Um, I hope you're thankful to God for all that he's done in your life. And I would love to have people come forward and just say, hey, Charlie, God's done so much work in my life. Let's just spend some time praising him. I'd love to do that with you. So come forward. If it's part of your life now, we need to deal with that. If you've never come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'd like to find out more, I am not going to bludgeon you with a baseball bat until you give your life to Christ, but I'd like to answer any questions that you have. Please come forward and ask. If you'd like to commit more of your life to Christ and you don't know how to do that, please come forward and ask. I'd love to help you with that. We want to cry out to God for mercy. We want to ask him to forgive. We ask him to restore. We want to ask him to raise us to new life. Perhaps you've taken for granted the love and grace and power that it took for us to be saved by grace. And if that's you tonight, come forward again. Just tell God you're sorry. Spend some time with him. We'll pray with you too if you like, but just spend that time with God. Perhaps you're one of these people who once made a commitment to Jesus, but there was no real change in your life. And now you realise that a Christian, you have this new life in Christ with all the power that raised Christ from the dead and that you've been raised to this new life with Christ. You're seated with him in the heavenly realm. Perhaps you've never been living like that. And perhaps there wasn't any change at all when you gave your life to Christ. If that's you, we need to pray and talk. I'd love to help you. I'd love to encourage you. And perhaps you haven't seen yourself as a new creation. I think this is one we're all guilty of. Perhaps you've grumbled about the gifts, talents and abilities that you've had. And you've desired what someone else has had. I always saw myself as a great entertainer, fantastic singer, touring the world. Never happened. But God's gifted each and every one of us in different ways so the body will be complete. So it's Pastor Darrell that got that talent. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lord help us. <laughs> but if you have had that desire where you've been envious of someone else's gifts, talents and abilities, you need to come forward. That's not of God. That's some of the stuff we're supposed to have put to death. 
Let's encourage and strengthen each other in the faith. I'm going to call the worship team up. I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, if you feel the need for prayer or just talking, I'd love to spend some time with you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've done so much for us. And Lord, we could do nothing for ourselves, but you stepped into that gap. And Lord, it was your love that caused you to move by grace that we could be saved by faith, Lord. And Lord, we admit that we haven't submitted fully to you. We haven't allowed ourselves to do those good works that you've called us to do. Not all the time. And so, Lord, we want to take this opportunity to submit it fresh to you. We want to commit to you, Lord. All of us want to commit to you at some level tonight. And I just pray, Lord, for those who've got serious work to do with you, that you'll give them that 30 seconds of courage that it's going to take to get down the front here and that we can pray together. We can praise you. We can thank you. And we can spur each other on in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.